everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and we have another fantastic show for you this evening. We have uh, Carl Olszak, and he was on the USS Reagan back in 2004, had a very strange sighting. It was more strange by the reactions of everyone than the sighting, I think. But uh, anyway, we're going to be talking to him. And this week's blog uh, by Charles Lear is the second part of abduction, UFO abduction research gone sideways part two, where he gets into uh, the crazy stuff that happened with uh, Emma Woods and uh, the allegations and things like that. So, uh, but anyway, that's the last of his series. I think he's written five blogs on that. Uh, another great one by him. And uh, let's see. I don't think I have anything else to announce. I do appreciate everyone that helps out with the show and anyone can do that. All you have to do is go over to the website, podcastufo.com. We also have a pretty active Facebook page. I think there's 20 some odd thousand people that uh, sometimes interact and just look that up on Facebook podcast UFO and our guests. I'm bringing them in now. Carl, welcome. Hey, how are you? Nice to see you, Martin. Big fan. Yes, great. Thank you. I remember hearing about you in this case. Uh, Dave Beatty alerted me to it, but you've had it out there for a while. Uh, you published something out there to to get, kind of get the word out. Um, so uh, how long has this been, this story? Did you feel comfortable putting it out there after the USS Nimitz uh, you know, case was out there everywhere? That's correct. There's uh, my shipmates, uh, quite a few of them have been uh, asking me to write about it for a while. And um, well, I mean, as much as I appreciate the topic, I uh, was doing different kinds of writing having to do with activism. And I felt like uh, writing about the UAP topic at the at the time would have detracted from what I was writing about, which was an anti-war topic. And now, after 2017, these top two topics have collided. Uh, yeah, in a way they have. You know, you're right. <laughs> um, and what do you think in general about, um, you know, the, the, the hard look, I have to say, uh, about what's going on in the military when it comes to, they call it UAP. Um, I have a friend who just retired from Space Force, also had a UAP encounter. He told me that, uh, you know, he wants to get a hold of Dave as well. But, you know, no, people, this is a, a topic. It's crazy how similar these two topics are, like the, the topic of renewable energy, for instance, and the topic of UAPs. There are certain people that won't think about the topic of renewable energy at all. It's hokey. It's fairy dust. It's this. It's that. And it just doesn't fit into their personality. So whether you're inside of the military or outside, I feel like you encounter that. People yeah. that say that that's just not me. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, from what I've seen, the reaction to the renewables and things like that is it's like it's a hard arc to get from where we are over to that and convince, you know, people and setting up the infrastructure to make it all work. But once it's in place, then we're going to be in really good shape. But it's 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 a hard, um, you know, it, it's going to cost some money and, and it's going to cause uh, environmental damage to get to a place to stop the environmental damage. 
You know, I mean, well, the biggest purchasers of environmental, sorry, I mean, interrupt you. The biggest purchasers of environmental products is the military, but it's convincing. Mm -hmm. It's convincing the, the, the personnel to use the environmental products and, you know, because in terms of delivering gas into a war zone, you don't want to lose lives in delivering gas. So this is obviously yeah. something the military has always been thinking about. But it's completely off the topic of UAPs. But yeah. it is the same because it's kind of a mentality thing, you know, uh -huh. that it's like, I love my gas, I love my truck, or I love the way my mentality is already structured and I'm not trying to mess with it, which I'm not sure that that's a that's reasonable. <laughs> sanity yeah. is sanity is not overrated. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. So uh, let's talk about now. Tonight, I'd like to be able to talk about both encounters that you had, and the la the latter one. Uh, but the one that um, is really fascinating, and and why you're here to speak about, um, I'd like for you to um, just go through and tell us, uh, you know, what happened. Okay, so. I uh, went into the military right after 9-11, and I ended up in, in boot camp in April of 2002, and I commissioned the Ronald Reagan, and so I was a plank owner on the Ronald Reagan. Oh, wow. And so I was one of the first quartermasters. I, I struck out into the rate, and I was one of the first quartermasters to be trained and you know to be working on that ship. And um, one particular evening, I relieved one of my shipmates and I was like, what is that? And she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? She's like, I don't know. She's like, does the officer of the deck know? I guess, you know, <laughs> I'm like, okay. And, and then just took off. I'm like, okay. So there's this orb about the, above the flight deck. Right. From this is my perspective. There's other perspectives in this, but from in my perspective, there's this orb there. But I've been brainwashed into, you know, if the officer of the deck is concerned, then I'm concerned. It's my my whole relationship with authority had kind of changed. And um, so I it was just kind of it was like the Truman Show, kind of, except huh. with, a, with a UAP. You know, which is an apt metaphor, I think. Um, so this thing was was hovering there above the flight deck. The it, there seemed to be a complete delineation on the bridge uh, between officers and enlisted. And I'm just popping this up for the people on YouTube. This was no, 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 something no, no, no. I just found on the internet. Um, and so I, I guess I have to ask you, and sorry to interrupt you here, and I want you to keep going. But um, is that kind of what you think you saw it's very similar to that um it's it's very similar it's very similar um uh i would say that that there was another if you look up uh the sun the sun had a mock-up that they did of their own and i thought that that one was uh if you look up my name and the the sun i believe uh that one was was closer, even though I love Dave's as well. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Okay, so continue on. And again, I apologize for uh, interrupting no there. Yeah. So the 
on the bridge, I guess I have to explain what a quartermaster does. A quartermaster is, uh, works for, directly for the ship's navigator. There's a limited amount of department heads on a, on, a, on a ship, and the navigator runs his own department. So we're in charge of making sure the ship is positioned in a way so the planes can take off and then land and uh, during, during flight operations. And then we're in charge of making sure the ship knows where it's going in, in other uh, circumstances. And um, sorry, I lost my I lost my train of thought there. But uh, there's there's quartermasters, and then there's bosun mates, and they're like the uh, they they have a, a number of different jobs on the ship, having to do with the anchor and a lot of the traditional duties. Uh, these are mostly traditional rates. Uh, there's a lot of operations people, and then there's officers, which consist mostly of helicopter pilots and uh, uh, airplane uh, jet jet pilots and some of them retired pilots whatever and there seemed to be uh, you know in terms of I, I mentioned backstage that the um, the miracle of Our Lady Fatima seemed to, to uh, co you know seemed to kind of be the same as the experience that I'm having here with this orb that's hovering above us because some people, seem to see it some people seem to not see it you know and um you know some people are excited and i'm i've asked myself and asked other people and i asked who i had relieved why we weren't at general quarters i mean for me what does general quarters mean exactly General quarters is a is a combat readiness procedure uh-huh. you know uh, when the ship is in danger you know, when there is something unknown, something I'd mentioned in the interviews that I did with Dave. And if I go off tangent and need to come back, I, I'd appreciate the help. Yeah. <laughs> but something I'd mentioned uh, to Dave is that we do darkened ship, which isn't I'm sure that's not classified, but uh, it's it's that, you know, all ships do this. We're all afraid of somebody noticing us in the middle of the ocean. And I'd always mm-hmm. ask myself this philosophical question. It's like, what is the greatest Navy in the world afraid of in the middle of the ocean? Mm-hmm. You, you know, pre USS Cole, maybe, I don't know, but I, it, it, it had always, you know, I had always wondered, you know, what is it that we're afraid of? What is it that's unknown? 70% of this world is ocean, you know, right. and we really know nothing about it. You know, right. but we do have the strongest Navy in the world at the same time. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so the officers seem like they're having a party <laughs> and the bosun mates seem like they're having a mental breakdown. You know, <laughs> this is what I'm observing. You know what I mean? Half the bridge seems like they're uh, freaking out and the other half seems to way too calm. And I, might fall into the category of um, somebody that was too calm. You know what I mean? Like in retrospect, in retrospect, thinking about it again, like I can say, okay, it was because of the brainwashing. Oh, it's because of this. Oh, it's because I wasn't trying to draw attention to myself. But at the same time, it was like, why the hell was I so calm? Hmm. But you were kind of following, like you said, the, the the brainwashing they do is, you know, you kind of look to your superiors for any type of reaction, aren't you? I mean, isn't that what the, part of it is? I yeah, 
Totally. My relationship with authority was completely different before I went into the military as opposed to after I went into the military and my relationship now, which is, you know, <laughs> I, I'm very defiant against authority at this stage of my life, which I think is very healthy. It's the American mm-hmm. way. Um, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I mean, I find here's the depiction that I found that is that the more of the correct. Yes. You- yes. This is was in the sun, the publication, the sun. And uh, it does look like the sun. And I think I mentioned to you off off camera uh, before the show started that we had someone in the military on a while back. Um, Kevin Day? Nope. Um, Boy, his name is is slipping, uh, escaping me right now. Uh, Mario, Mario Woods. And this was over a nuclear facility. And he said it looked like a large sun. You know, was right over, uh, right over the the weapons. Uh, so it's it's really was really something. And he had missing time and all that. And that's another thing. Of course, I'm going to ask. Well, that's what I wonder that. about Derek Smith, who was he was one of the bosun mates that's included mm-hmm. in my article, uh, the original article, and also have been um, interviewed. Okay, I I I don't want to say I don't think Dave actually did the interview with Derek. I know he did an interview with Patrick Goki. Um, I think Dave used an interview that I had done with Derek. But, you know, Derek's experience is so short that I'm wondering because my experience is so long. How, you know, like and it's the same thing with Patrick. Patrick sees it moving. I don't see it moving. You know, like, uh, but I trust these guys. I worked with Patrick for years and he's one of the few people I, I you know, and I, I trust Derek too. They, they're not, and they're, they, Derek was definitely one of the people that was pressuring me to, to write about this because, um, man, we had gone through this experience and then the reflection process about the experience is actually the thing, right? Because yes, the experience is weird and the experience, the experiencers are behaving weird. But what happens to me over 15 years is I think about it, think about it as if it was, I had taken some sort of psychedelic, some sort of psychedelic. And I was reflecting on the experiences I had on the psychedelic. The thing is you're not allowed to do drugs in the military. you know. <laughs> but okay. So this, this thing, the people you're witnessing this with, um, outside, you're are you, you're outside or you're inside. I'm yeah, I'm inside. I'm inside. Uh, okay. Uh, there's bulletproof glass, and you know, you've if you've seen the movie Top Gun, this is mm-hmm. a Top Gun situation. The Top Gun flight, uh, the flight bridge is right above us. Uh, we are right. Uh, is that a picture of the Reagan? Uh well, I. I Googled it. I was hoping it was. I know it's, isn't it number 76? I think that is the Reagan. I, I think that's the Reagan in um, the Straits of Magellan, which I navigated. It's one of my claimed, claims to fame, which is like you, uh, I think it was the first time a large aircraft carrier like that had ever traversed a small area like that. And it wow. was uh, the navigation detail was like 30 hours long, you know, and uh, wow. it was, Wow, yeah. that must have been beautiful, too, to go through there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the reaction of the people, this is this is what I, when I listened to another interview that you did with Dave Beatty, 
that was my takeaway of the strangeness of this thing is the reactions and like there's really nothing going on and you're launching, uh, you know, you're catapulting, catapulting these, uh, what are they, F-18s or what were they at that time? F uh, Super Hornets, F-22s. F or, oh, no, F-22s. F-22s are Raptors, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a so while, we, but it was the, the, the ship was built to outfit the, the Super Hornet, which was the, the newest, the newest right. in the arsenal for the military industrial complex. If you can, yeah. if you can guess where my political leanings lie. <laughs> <laughs> so these things are, are, are being launched and the thing is just sitting there, um, which is very, I mean, the, the fact that you were launching the, the, uh, uh, these jets off of that thing while this thing was sitting there is baffling. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, and, and why you're not in some type of alert situation and why no one's talking about it. Why none of the officers are talking about that. That's we're talking same. about it afterwards. One of the things I mentioned in Dave's, in Dave's uh, interview was that um, the bull uh, who was the senior uh when I started writing about it, uh, he was the senior, uh, the senior commissioned officer, the lowest ranking senior commissioned officer. And it's kind of, they, they wear a cowboy hat. It's ceremonial, but he was on watch that night. And I asked him what happened in the galley and the officer's galley where they ate the day after. And he's like, nothing. They didn't give a fuck. Sorry. They That's- didn't, they did not care. They did not yeah. care. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to watch my language. <laughs> that's all right. So, yeah, that, you know, that's just, I just, I'm just totally baffled by, by that part of it. Because I mean, to me, I just, I just see this thing was actually pacing along with you, right? You're How going many about other things are like this in our, in our world where there are things that people just cumulatively ignore that they they just things happen they're like i don't know what that was i don't care we'll just like we'll we'll chalk it up to you know whatever you know like i well you know it's a it's kind of like a sheep mentality in a way because if if uh like people looking at each other for reactions and uh if the officers are acting like it's no big deal that's going to be contagious as well you know, unless I wasn't trying to make myself ridiculous either. Hmm. You know, not to say that the UFO research is ridiculous. You know, it's just that once you put yourself into that arena, once you put yourself into that arena, it might make it harder to go into other things. And I think that's the, you know, that's how people think about it. And it's sad that it people do think about it that way. Um, but um, I don't know. Dostoevsky has a story called the dream of a ridiculous man, you know, and it's this idea that somebody can have this ridiculous dream of a perfect world. But um, when they, um, they can't actually make it happen in reality, you know, it's kind of like these, uh, so I've gotten to listen to a, a bunch of your podcasts and I got to listen to a couple of the Jacques Vallée ones. Uh, and, um, you know, he was talking about his books and he's like, these things are real. We know these things are real. And, you know, it's like this idea of real might be the problem 
you know, mm. there, there might be a category of things that exist in between real or unreal or even beyond that, you know, like, I, don't, mm. I guess this word supernatural is so kitschy, you know, but mm. I guess the word is supernatural. And that's the word we've been using uh, forever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. I think one of the things that valet does, uh, say at some point is, you know, and which I agree totally is that, you know, we may not even understand what we're looking at. If, if, you know, I mean, we may not even be able to understand what these things are. Some of them are, and they all could be different, you know, different things. But uh, I do think that there is, you know, in the way that they move, regardless of whether they're cigar shaped or uh, saucer shaped or whatever, it's, it's in the way that they move that it uh, that is the, the the similarity and that is the thing that makes us feel something you know that mm-hmm. uh, this otherworldly feeling where we're we're convinced that that can't be from here you know mm-hmm. um, but I don't that could be some sort of trickster mechanism too you know it's like I'm pretty sure the experience that I had wasn't a trick you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. but um i don't know it's it's there there might be again at this in this uh divide between real and unreal there might also be this this thing between trick and miracle right so um i've always i started thinking about this in terms of another philosophy experiment that you have say manufactured crop circles these fraudsters decide that they're going to manufacture crop circles and then they're going to convince a bunch of ufo enthusiasts that these uh that these are real you know and the ufo enthusiasts believe that they're real and they come and then later the fraudsters they go in the papers and they say ha ha we tricked them blah 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 and yet the ufo enthusiasts are like, you know, still won't believe it. But what if the whole interaction between the enthusiasts and the fraudsters is contact of some sort? You know, that mm. these two groups are being compelled by some force, you know? Mm. But yeah, I thought about this in terms of the Philadelphia experiment because that's a classic oh, yeah. example of a hoax. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, in my studies, there's no such thing as a complete hoax. Hmm. You know, everything comes from somewhere. Um, but anyway, going back to this specific experience, we had talked about it for years. Me and Patrick actually ended up working together uh, with uh, on uh, when Occupy Wall Street started because I was going to school in New York and it seemed like our movement and our time. And I can't say that seeing you, this UAP encounter didn't influence all of that and didn't, because I was pretty arbitrary before I went into the military. I didn't care about, you know, uh, all of these things. I was, uh, you know, civics, you know, I, I was, I was late to the, t- I was late to the class for civics, you know, like I, I, <laughs> There's something great about the American classroom where you can get that lesson sometimes if you have a good professor, a good teacher somewhere along the way that will teach you mm-hmm. the importance, importance of civics. But I was 32 before I understood the importance of civics, even, even after I had served, you know. 
Hmm. Hmm. So there were there were people. Were there other people saying that they saw other orbs that were moving? Did I did I hear that? I think I was mistaken in the interview in uh, in my reading because um, Patrick had sent me a write up of um, his encounter, and I had just copy and pasted it and put it into my article. And I had mis I think I had misread it. I had misread it that he saw more than one orb. He had seen the same. He had seen the same orb in different positions on the ship because the way that the bosun mates worked is they they rotated positions. They're trained lookouts, and this is something that your, your listeners should probably know too. Everybody in these positions is has had extensive trainings on how to spot different kinds of aircraft especially the lookouts because that's their job and how to how to identify how to tell how far away they are and um yeah uh yeah so uh, this isn't this isn't like a, 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 a civilian sighting so to speak this is their job mm -hmm. now did anyone try to look i know you have those i forget what they call them big eyes or something like that whatever those really powerful binoculars did anyone Derek, try to I believe I believe Derek uh, looked through the big eyes. And he looked uh, at this object? I think he tried. I think they I think they tried. I don't know that they saw anything uh specific through the, the big eyes that they had, hadn't seen with uh again, this thing is like right on top of us. You don't need the big eyes to see it. Hmm. Wow. And how many people would you think actually saw this? Uh, you know, I had, I had, uh, been a little, I had exaggerated a little in, in my interview with Dave. I'd said like a thousand, I think I was feeling a little, a little honry, <laughs> definitely a couple hundred, definitely a couple hundred, you know, um, you know, the, there's definitely, there's at least 30 people, uh, to 45 people working between the two different bridge teams, whether it's air, air ops and the navigation detail, you know, there's two floors. So, uh, you know, about 15 to 20 people on each floor. And then you have the flight deck, which is all um, different colored shirts based mm -hmm. on what they do, whether it's fuel or this or that. And, you know, so you need, in order to conduct flight operations, you need a lot of people, you know, so, yeah, so a couple hundred. Couple hundred, you know. Uh -huh. Now, what about? Um, there would be no way to find out if this thing ever showed up on radar or anything like that, right? The radar is right next to me. I didn't see it. So my oh, chart maybe. table is my chart table, and then right next to me is the the, the bull who who I'd mentioned before, and he's working with operations. He's but he's aware of it, right? So there. They're not seeing it on radar. They're not seeing it on radar. But the fact that they're not seeing it on radar doesn't mean anything because it's right on top of us. Yeah. It, not only is it right on top of us, I have no idea when it got there. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Nothing. If anything would be, I don't think anything that close to us is going to show up on radar. Oh, geez. I never thought about that. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I, that wasn't my job. That wasn't my job, but I don't I don't think so. Well, what was the buzz like after I talked to, you know, people that were on the the uh, Princeton and the Nimitz? And, you know, there was a lot of buzz 
going on about it. You know, a lot of teasing and stuff like that. But, you know, to say David Fravor, I guess they were teasing him a bit. But um, but what was that like afterwards? I think I remember Fravor from Navigation Details. I think his squadron was with us for a while. I, I can't say that for sure, but i pretty sure I remember. Because I used to sit in Navigation Details, and I remember I remember his face um, hmm. giving speeches about what the – I think the the black aces is that what it was? Uh, I'm not sure. One of the aces, but yeah. um, like I said, so I I can gauge the officer reaction based on what the bull told me, and that was they didn't really talk about it at all. A complete ignoring. Like the reaction while I was seeing these guys on the bridge was having a good time looking at it. I think they were looking at it, and then. Um, and then he said that in the galley afterwards, nobody really talked about it because you, nobody's in a hurry to make themselves ridiculous, you know, um, mm -hmm. which is sad. Yeah. But the, well, in the, in the enlisted, in the enlisted uh, spectrum, it's a little different. There's, there's rumors flying around, you know what I mean? Like um, there's people that are lying. There's people that are saying that they saw it and they didn't see it. They, they were wow. nowhere. They were, they weren't on, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's strange world we live in. You know, um, <laughs> well, that's you know that happened. <laughs> all the things that happen, but I think Valet talks about it in in his book uh, when he's talking about the um, the Philadelphia experiment of how rumors move on ships, and I found mm. that to be something that really spoke to me because um, you could really do a scientific study for it. In studying yeah. fiction, the ship is a representation for society. You know, anytime mm. a writer writes about the ship, what he's doing is writing about society. You know, he's making a statement. Even if he doesn't know that, he's making a statement. Yeah. Uh, here's a, Gerald has a question. Did it make any noise? I know you were on the inside, but I, I don't know if anyone on the outside heard anything. With our loud, with our loud uh, Super Hornets, again, I'm going to um, do everything in relation to the Super Hornets. And um, those are those things are loud as hell. So even if it okay. made a noise, we wouldn't have heard it. Right. And what about so the, the approximate size? The is mm -hmm. I I think it's it was about the size of the super hornet without the wings. If ah. we were to take the super hornet without the wings, that's a, that's my approximate approximate. And that's like 40, 50 feet, something like that. uh yeah. 40 50 feet yeah i think that's i think that's that's fair yeah i mean i'm, I'm just throwing the number out there i don't really you know i don't really know but um so what what was the ending of this thing do you happen to know did someone see it vanish all of a sudden or it was there your entire watch did you ever speak to anyone well the person relieving you, how did that? That's, the sad, That's the, the sad thing is knowing that you're the kind of person that left watch without knowing because you were tired. You know what I mean? Uh, I was working 16 hour days, but like wow. I had this sinking feeling as I was walking down to my rack, somebody had relieved me and kind of the same in the same kind of relief process that I got. What is that? I don't know. <laughs> Does the officer of the deck know? I don't know. <laughs> you know like, wow. And yeah, I mean, but, but so so, but I mean, the officer of on the deck, 
someone had to tell the officer on the deck, right? I mean, that's just a given. Or whose job is it to tell the officer? It's tell waking that? up the captain. That's the endeavor, right? Oh, Nobody yeah. cares about the officer of the deck, really. The officer of the deck <laughs> is some lower level department head. It's yeah. should we wake the captain again? It's like the general quarters, the general quarters question. Why didn't we call general quarters? Well, first we would have had to wake the captain, you know, (laughs) and nobody wants to wake the captain to tell him that there's a UFO, you know? (laughs) Wow. What if 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 he's one of the ones that doesn't see it? What if it's gone by the time (laughs) he gets there? (laughs) But, but what, what if he, he hears about well. You you said it didn't get entered in the log. He's on which my is I time. should I should contact him. <laughs> yeah. By the way, yeah, you should now and see what happens. But um, if it's not in the logbook, um, so no one. It's possible that no one said anything to him the next day. I really doubt anybody had the cones to do that. It, this is a part. This is the part of the brainwashing that's really profound. I, I had a, I, I'm a pretty confident person and I, I, I've done a lot of public speaking, but, you know, performing in front of the captain after you went through this boot camp where they teach you about honor and discipline and all that stuff. And suddenly you're face to face with the captain, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, you get a little shaken. So I can understand why nobody wanted to tell the captain that there was a UAP. <laughs> wow. Wow. But I, I mean, you know, I didn't want to tell the captain one time they wanted me to do a, a PMS preventive maintenance system. And I felt like something wasn't quite right. And I just didn't want to do it. You know what I mean? I didn't want yeah. to be the one to present the information in some sort of, you know. But But wouldn't you think that, like if he found out like the next day, hey, why didn't you wake me up? Would could that be a possibility? Could that be that a reaction like that? The first time I had ever really encountered the 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 the, the vernacular of what are you smoking was when I talked to a recruiter. You know what I mean? He tried to pass me the fake joint, you know, like, and it was, it was, that's how military people are. You know what I mean? If it's not mm-hmm. tangible and it's not, you know, the enemy, then again, you have to ask yourself if the, the, um, the, the, the policy of ignoring these things is better than shooting at them. Yeah. You know, because I think what I've heard is that in various war situations, they're they're showing up on different battlefields in the world and people are shooting at them. And again, this is word of mouth from Jeremy Corbell, you know, Mm. but uh, it's not like I don't know. Who knows? I don't know what to believe, what not to believe. My view in terms of intelligence is I know what I saw. Right. But. I know that there is information and then there is disinformation and they're really, you're hard pressed to find any information and you, you have to decide on the, in the moment, which you're being presented with, whether even this experience, is it information, is it disinformation or is it misinformation? Even like the, the, I don't know. And then the, the idea of a, of the government staging a fake UFO invasion always comes up into the, uh, as a, as a justification for war always comes into the pipelines as well. So 
Hmm. Hmm. So uh, this, we talked about this earlier and uh, Judy wanted to know where the jets landing and taking off while the orb was present. And I believe that that yes. was exactly the case, right? Yes. And yeah, that is one of the most baffling parts to me. It just seems like the possibility of it being a danger, you know, I'm sure if it reacted in some type of aggressive way, everything would have changed immediately. I would imagine. I mean, I don't see any armaments on it. You know, me walking away from this and ref I mean, I've had a lot of reflection on it. It's, it's like if these if these things wanted to be a danger to us, we'd probably be screwed. Yeah. You know? I would, and I, I think they've been in our history for a long time with Foo Fighters and whatnot, you know, and um, yeah, I think they're like me. I think they're anti-war. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, that there's there's something to that. You know, I mean, when they have, uh, you know, disarmed uh, warheads and uh, all the way back in 1962, I think it was. Yeah. Um, you know, really makes you wonder about all that. Uh, so that's very, very much a possibility. Now I'm going to shift gears a little bit because uh, time's been flying by here. And I want to hear about your 2015 um encounter when you were walking your dogs how did what happened at that point so unless there's, anything you'd ask, unless there's anything else you want to wrap up on this particular uh this particular sighting uh no no i mean um i have a yeah i have a substack in which there's a uh there's a an auto fiction account of the story if your listeners would like to check it out yeah. Okay. I can link that in the show notes, everyone. So I'll be happy to do that. And you know, that's, uh, I'm sure, you know, that's what Kevin Day did as well. He wrote a fiction. About I, you know, I, I, I want to read, I want to read, I, I listened to your interview with Kevin Day specifically. And I think maybe, and this is the conclusion that I came to, maybe what we're left with is, you know, the, the fiction, you know, and, and how we process it, you know, that mm -hmm. I'm not a big, I'm not a big data person, you know, I, I'm not sure that an accumulation of data is going to get us closer to understanding what it is that we're dealing with, mm -hmm. you know, or it's such a hurry to, to take it apart, figure out how it works, you know, and not why it works, you know, anyway, mm -hmm. we can move on to 2015. So, um, I moved to Detroit to work in renewable energy. Why I know that the subject of UAPs is similar to the subject of renewable energy. And um, one night I was uh, hanging out with a friend of mine. It was one o'clock in the morning and we were in Clawson, Michigan. And we're just walking around having a good time. And um, suddenly we see about 30 of these things. And now are they 30? I'm not sure that they're 30 little suns, you know, we're further away than I would have been on the ship, but they're like above people's houses. And they're, when I, I wrote in my Substack about that they're engaged in a janitorial function, it's that they, you know what it looks like when something is exploring and it hasn't been somewhere before, as opposed to something that is engaged in something routine that it, it engages with on a regular basis. The movement of these things over people's houses seemed very routine, you know, yeah. again, in the way that they moved 
And the way that they moved was, again, this kind of feeling of the otherworldly, you know. And again, I'm, uh, my, my friend that I saw it with, we, um, first we see these things. And then at some point, I'm sure we've made contact because one of these things is following us to his house. At least this is my perception of it. We go to his house and we're sitting out there and we're staring at it. And there's definitely a conclusion to this encounter where it just leaves, you know, but like we try to wake up his wife. She doesn't care. She doesn't want to see it. She's like, you have, you have what? <laughs> I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> but, you know, the day afterwards, I'm like, oh, my God. So I have to at least in this situation, I have a friend there with me. And I was like, did we just see what I thought we just saw? And he's like, yes, that was real. That was real. That happened. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I didn't have that in the, I didn't have that on the, on the Reagan because mm. you're almost afraid to talk about it, you know? Mm. Um, but like, you know, but again, I, I had this experience with him where he's like, um, this feeling of the otherworldly that I've been carrying with me ever since it just seemed to kind of dissipate from him very quickly where he's like, Oh, the next day it's, it's all about how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to meet ends meet? Which is what all people have to work, you know, the things yeah. that we all have to deal with. But to me, that feeling of the otherworldly is like some sort of high, you know, where you're like um, suddenly impacted almost like um, profoundly. You know, mm -hmm. but again, I'm not sure that there isn't some sort of trickster mechanism at play here as well. You know, that um, I felt intoxicated. That's what, you know, that's what I took away from that experience. And so when, I, when, I look back, when I look back at the experience on the Reagan, I was intoxicated too, just in the opposite way. It was the ultimate sobriety. That's, I mean, I was mm -hmm. so calm. Why? You know, I'd had a dream when I went back to my mom's house before I met and almost a prophetic dream before I went back to, before I moved to Detroit, I stopped at my mom's house and I had this vivid, vivid dream. You know, how you have those dreams and you just remember them forever because they're so vivid. So I walked out just, in my mom's yeah, backyard yeah. and I see a miniature UFO and you know, it's a very classical miniature UFO, but I have the right reaction. I, you know, when, you know, you, you have, when you're a child and you want to scream, but you can't, you yeah. know what I mean? That is the right reaction to seeing something otherworldly, right? And this was like the that dream is, you had? That is had. true in our human instinct, right? Like that. So yeah. why in one instinct am I ultimately sober? And then the other instant, I'm ultimately intoxicated by these things, you know, like, yeah. again, these are things that I've been reflecting on for years I definitely think um, maybe that there, there is a, a phenomenon at play that we, in our, um, in our nascent stage of understanding, uh, um, are, uh, af you know, affected by, but we can't necessarily understand it. You know, and maybe we're left with fiction, fictionalizing it, mytholo mythologizing it. I don't know. I don't want to go against the 
the hard science people that are looking for hard data so they can break the rules of physics, <laughs> you know, but I, I think it's important to embrace a kind of meditative path where you're actually thinking about what you're getting yourself into in these in these processes, I think in our initial interviews, we had talked about Tommy knockers, which when, when I uh, listened to your interviews with Kevin day, that really the Tommy knockers idea really came into play for me again. I'm like, you know, hmm. um, for the but, one that doesn't know the Tommy knockers were when this thing was buried under the ground, right. For thousands of years or millions of years or something. Or am I thinking of, I read the book, but it was so long ago. Steve. Yeah, I read it when it, I read it when I was in middle school as well. But essentially, it deals with so the 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 benefit of a classical education is one of the first things that my professor told me is that before the Renaissance, nobody had their own ideas. All ideas either came from muses or they came from gods. This idea that this modern idea that we have an individual idea is an invention. You know, like it's not a part of the. Uh, it's not a part of the human story. You know, we've rewritten the human story where we have our own ideas and we, uh, the whole idea of inter intellectual property is based on this, this uh, you know, Renaissance idea of ownership of things. Um, right. <laughs> Which is, so in, is terms of, in terms of what Stephen King is getting at is that these people are getting ideas for these inventions and all the inventions are turning into these torture devices. Oh, that's right. Okay. All right. All right. But he did have, he did have a, a book that I read a long time ago where this, they, they found this, there was a UFO that had crashed and it was down inside the earth uh, down below this property. That was, I forget what that was called, but I want to go back to your sighting though. Um, just, can you describe, I'm trying to figure out what you mean exactly. Like it seemed like whatever they were doing was routine and like they were almost like uh, janitorial or something like that. And what, what exactly do you mean by what were you observing that made you feel that that's what you were seeing? Well, I was observing these things floating over people's houses. I'm not saying that they were, making any kind of contact with people's houses. Cause I don't know. I know that one of them, you know, followed us back to our house. Um, so to explain the janitorial function, you know, it's, I used to stand a lot of watch. So you do a lot of observing, you know, mm -hmm. if I was observing people that were there, if say, if I was observing a group of people that have been there for the first time, as opposed to a group of people who had been there lots of times, you know, like uh, that's what, that's what I'm getting at, you know, that it didn't seem oh, like these lights that were hovering over people's houses had just gotten there. And this was uh, some sort of novel encounter because it was as if, I mean, it was a regular night at one o'clock in the morning. It wasn't even, it wasn't even hidden. Yeah. You know? It was just. And would you would you describe these things as similar to what you saw before, like, like an like orbs? Yeah, yeah. The the you know the idea of lights in the sky always comes back. You know what I saw was lights in the sky. I've never had any. I've never had any other experiences besides lights in the sky. I mean, mm -hmm. that I can 
conjure here for this for this interview. And when you were looking out at these, say, 30 or so, whatever they were, um, they they seemed to hover in place except for one, the one that seemed to follow you home. No, they were moving. It was it was by the way that they're moving that, um, you know, that gives me this feeling of otherworldliness that feels kind of intoxicating. So they're all moving around at some point, but even though these things are out there, my friend wants to go home. You know, that's definitely, you know, another thing, like kind of like me on watch, you know, I was working 16 hour days, lights in the sky are great, you know, but they're not going to help me wake up tomorrow. (laughs) But I definitely, but I'm the kind of person that would have stayed out there all night looking at these things, you know. Mm -hmm. And when you saw the thing take off, um, would you say it took off at a rapid speed or how? Yes, it went straight up. Straight up. Straight up. Oh, that's pretty key. And uh, that's because because what I was thinking about in terms of Michigan is all these lakes, you know, and that Mm -hmm. they it's, you know, the, my intuition is like, they have to be coming out of the water, but when this thing was done with us, it went straight up. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. And yeah, uh, that does, that is one of the characteristics that you do hear a lot of people talk about things just shooting straight up and, and fast. And obviously, I mean, I'm assuming that there was no sound either. No, we didn't hear any sound that night. Yeah. Well, it's all, it's all so, so fascinating. Uh, and you, you don't, there was no, no way that you could have had any missing time. I know we talked briefly about that earlier, but you said this was about one in the morning and everything checked out as far as the time goes. Like if you looked at your watch and it was like one thirty in the morning after that, or. I mean, we were up until we were up until early in the morning, I think. Uh, we were out on the back porch. We were, we were out when we got back to his house, we were just laying out on the back porch, just looking at it, you know, above us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And no, but no, I don't think there was, I don't think there was missing time. I think the thing that's weird for me is I don't know what parts of my life are, um, are, uh, me having a meeting with someone, you know what I mean? Like, um, like after you have an experience like this, you start to wonder about other experiences you have and whether they're connected to this, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of what, what happened to me, especially, especially after this one, because I was, you know, in a lot of ways, I was, these things show up when I need a sign, you know, when I need, mm-hmm. a little, when I need, a little extra to push on because it's been a, you know, it's been a hard journey. I know that Kevin Day talked about this, um, the idea of possibly getting some re some compensation for injuries that we've received from these experiences. And I completely understand that because as a disabled veteran, you know, um, I, I understand how few things are covered, you know, you know, I, I'd like to just mention the idea of a non-state actor instead of this idea of aliens, because, you know, in terms of sickness, the Havana syndrome has come up recently, too. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the government put out something really strange that they were going to cover it medically, but they can be sure that it wasn't a foreign government. What the hell does that mean? Because for the rest of us, we need an act of Congress to be passed in order for them to cover something. How does it automatically they proved this Havana syndrome is not a foreign government and they're going to cover it? That is that is really bizarre. Now I don't know. Are you familiar with the Rendlesham Forest incident? You'll have to remind me. Yeah. Well, that happened back in 1980, and it was on a military base in England, American oh, yeah, military base. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John Burroughs was covered um, for medical insurance. He had a lawyer, and he actually was able to. He had heart trouble that he was relating to his incident, and. Uh, uh, he actually won, which is pretty rare. So, uh, but that, you know, I mean, that's a whole different uh, type of situation, I believe, you know, from what his exposure was, I'm not really sure um, what other people's are that you're, you know, if you were exposed to anything or not, I don't know. I'm I'm interested in veterans getting compensation all around. I'm already 100% disabled. And so like, mm. you know, there's nowhere to go after 100%, you know, wow. yeah. you can't compensate me anymore. But, um, you know, and so for something like this, uh, so I have MS, but for something like this, you know, people are going to have a hard time getting compensation. And uh, yeah. I guess we have to start working on it now. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Day was talking about education, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how to educate people. I don't know how to educate people on something like this. I'm a I, I, I favor classical education. Uh-huh. Hey, you know, we were out of time already and uh, it went really fast. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for your service. And uh, we'll be talking soon. Uh, and I will put in the show sure. notes. I appreciate your time and you're doing great work. Great. Thank you very much. I will put your blog in the show notes for anyone could uh, take a look at it. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. All right, everyone. Sorry we ran short on time. We'll be back next week. Uh, Remember to keep your eyes to the sky. Thank you all.